Well, hey, it's Jason here, and I'm one of the pastors from The Way Church. We are a new church with a home in the city of Vancouver. And our prayer is that God would use these sermons from our teaching team to help you see Jesus more clearly. And if you're not part of a church, we'd love to connect with you. The easiest way to do it is to visit our website and fill out our connect form at thewaychurch.ca. Let's jump in. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome. We are so happy that you have joined us today. Many of you know this, but I am American. I'm originally from Texas, and but here's a fun fact you may not know about me, is that in all of my 30 some odd years of life, I have only been Black Friday shopping once, once in my entire life, and it was a few years ago. So I've lived here in Canada for almost nine years now, and I flew home several years ago to Colorado to visit my family where they're living. And um, I don't know why, but my brother and I, I guess we were looking through some flyers and I don't, I guess we saw some good deals and we looked at each other and we thought, let's do it. Let's go Black Friday shopping. And so we decided to brave it. And I don't know why, but we decided to go to Walmart. That would probably be the first place you wouldn't go, but that's where we went. We pulled into the parking lot and as you can imagine, there were cars everywhere and the line was out the door and my big brother looked at me and was like, okay, divide and conquer, that's how we're gonna do this. And so he got one cart, I got another cart and we got into the store and it didn't take long for us to get into the store when I realized I don't even know what I'm really shopping for. And so, I, because I didn't live there, there was nothing that I could really take back home with me. But I, here's what I remember very clearly about being in Walmart that day, is that it was so crazy. There were people everywhere. It wasn't as crazy as like the YouTube videos that you've probably seen, but still, it was pretty chaotic. And I remember walking past piles of, you know, you know, stacks of like vacuum cleaners and different things. And you could hear people talking and they were like, oh honey, this is a good deal. And they'd grab one. And then everybody would start grabbing. And so, so did I. I by the time that I got to the checkout line, I had a vacuum cleaner, I had a steam mop. I didn't know what I was gonna do with it, but it was a good deal. I just, it was, it was insane. And kind of, kind of funny. And my brother was like, what? What are you doing? What are you thinking? He was able to keep his sanity. But here's, here's the thing that I wanna point out, is you know, I don't know how Jesus feels about Black Friday. <laughs> I don't know how he feels about it, but I think the Bible does really speak to how he handles chaos. And I'm not talking about like that crazy shopping kind of chaos. I'm talking about the real deal chaos, the kind of chaos that really does fluster us from the inside out, the kind of chaos that um, creates fear and anxiety and um, the kind of fear that ends up, or the kind of chaos that ends up creating insecurity deep inside of us, that kind of chaos. And so if you would, would you please open your Bibles to Mark chapter four, because I want us to look at what the Bible has to say about this kind of chaos. And while you are turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background on what it is that we are getting ready to read. So um, if we were to read the first three chapters of the book of Mark, here's what we would find out. We would find out that Jesus has been tirelessly going from uh, place to place, preaching and teaching. He has his 12 disciples, his 12 followers with him. And he now ends up by the Sea of Galilee. And he is starting to teach to this crowd that has just followed him to where he is. And there are so many people there, in fact, that they have actually, the Bible says, pressed in against him. And so he climbs into a boat. The disciples sort of push it off a little bit from the land. And so he's standing in the boat just off of the shore and he starts preaching to the crowd. 
And so now let's start reading in verse 35. He's just finished teaching to these people, and this is what it says. So it's Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says this, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have the authority to calm the chaos in our lives. I pray that the words out of this mouth and the meditation of our hearts today would be pleasing and honorable to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So at first glance in this story, here, here is what we see. We see that Jesus has fallen asleep in the boat. It's understandable. We just said he's been going from place to place, preaching and teaching. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was tired. He was taking a break down in the bottom of the boat. And then a storm shows up. A storm shows up. The disciples freak out. They wake up Jesus. And Jesus does a total miracle. And he literally stops the storm. He doesn't just quiet the storm. He stops it completely. And then he turns to his disciples and he confronts them about being afraid. So here's what I want to do just for the next several minutes. I want to go through this story and I want to just make a few observations. So first off, in verse 38, what is the disciples' response to the storm? They wake Jesus up with a question. Jesus, don't you care? Here's the first observation I think we can make. It's this, that chaos can cause us to question Jesus. Chaos can cause us to question Jesus. Um, years ago when my husband and I were first trying to start a family, it wasn't quite as easy as we thought it would be. Um, we lost two babies to miscarriage and then I was pregnant with, with a third. And things were going along really, really well. Uh, by this time, my doctor considered me slightly more high risk, so I was seeing him regularly, having ultrasounds regularly, and I was about three months pregnant, and we had already seen uh, the baby's heartbeat, seen it fluttering around on the ultrasound and all the awesome things. Things were going great. So we went to this regular ultrasound, my husband and I, and um, I could tell almost immediately that something wasn't right because the nurse got very quiet. She wouldn't let us see the screen, which normally they did. And she called in our doctor who had walked this journey with us. And he got very somber and said, you guys, he showed us a screen. He said, you guys, um, we're not able to find a heartbeat. We can see the baby. Baby looks great. We just can't find a heartbeat right now. And of course, as you can imagine, I mean, just inside, I was just devastated. And he offered us a bit of hope, though, and said, listen, um, I'm not entirely convinced that you've lost the baby yet. Let's give it 48 hours, and maybe the baby's in a, in a strange position. Maybe we got the dating wrong. Maybe you're not quite three months along. Like, he just gave us several reasons. 
and said, but let's give it 48 hours. Maybe let's, let's hold out for a miracle. And so my husband and I, we walked to the car and I remember very, very clearly getting in the car and having one thing, one thing running through my mind on repeat. And it was the same question that the disciples asked Jesus, God, don't you care? Like, don't you care that this is happening, that this is happening again for a third time? Like, where are you? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about us, about our family, about our future? Don't you care about this baby? Don't you care? I don't know if you've ever felt that, if you've ever walked through something like that, but when we come up against hard stuff, confusing stuff, many of us, like the disciples did, like I did, we are tempted to blame God. Don't you care? Where are you? And if you're real, why don't you do anything? Why aren't you doing anything to stop this? And we actually might move even beyond just questioning him and we actually can move into a place of accusing him to then think of him um, as the one who actually sends the storm and this, then just chooses to sleep down in the bottom of the boat while we're trying to navigate things ourselves. Something in our thinking begins to say, to say that if God is with us, if he truly loved us, he would do something. And he wouldn't take his time, he wouldn't delay, he would just make the storm go away. Or better yet, he would have never allowed a storm in the first place. And so we stop believing him and we start blaming him. And what ends up happening is that we begin to view Jesus through this, through this skewed lens of our feelings rather than through the accurate lens of fact. And whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, I think that we can all agree that none of us are gonna get through this thing. None of us are gonna get through life unscathed. We are all of us at one point or another going to experience hard, chaotic, disorienting things in our lives. All of us are. And if you're a skeptic joining us today, and we're so, so glad that you've joined us, but this might be the point where you peace out from understanding this faith in Jesus thing. Like you might be saying, yeah, but why the hard stuff? Pain is completely pointless. It's pointless. And I'm just gonna be real and say, you know, if I were not a follower of Jesus, I would totally agree with you. Pain would seem to be pointless. But because I am a believer in Jesus Christ, here is what I know to be true from personal experience. That the painful, chaotic times in my life have had the ability to drive me to the feet of Jesus in a way that the good times just couldn't. It has been the hardest things in my life that have forged the deepest, grittiest faith. On, um, on our drive home from the doctor's appointment that day, I remember through tears making myself, and I do mean making myself, recall every good thing God had done for us. I had to make myself focus on fact and not what I was feeling inside. I made myself remember his faithfulness to me over the years, and I told it to myself again and again and again. And when I got home and I got in my bed, I sat there with my Bible. And when I tell you I held onto it and I read it for dear life, I do mean that I held onto it for dear life because I needed to remember that he was who he said he was 
that he was who he had always been. And I needed to remember that he was for us and not against us, that he was near to the brokenhearted. I needed to remember who he really was. My soul needed to remember. And so I reminded myself of those things over the next 48 hours as we were waiting for that next doctor's appointment. In uh, verse 39, they wake up Jesus, the disciples wake up Jesus and they question him. And watch what he does. Here's what Jesus says in verse 39. It says that Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So the first thing he does is he calms the storm. But then, listen to what he does, then he flips the questioning on them and he asks the disciples not one but two questions in verse 40. He says to them, why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? So here's the second observation I think that we can make. It's this, that chaos can cause us to be overwhelmed by fear. Chaos can cause us to be overwhelmed by fear. If you had asked the disciples when they were back on the shore, do you trust in Jesus? Like how much faith do you have in him? You know, they probably would have said, yes, I totally trust in Jesus and I have tons of faith in him. And here's why they probably would have been able to say that because if we rewind the story a little bit, we would read that before they had gotten on the boat, here is what they had personally seen. They had seen Jesus drive demons out of people. They had seen him heal many people from leprosy to fevers to paralytics. They had heard and been had a front row seat to him teaching and preaching and doing these miracles. He had eaten with sinners and tax collectors, people who were considered totally not the kind of people that um, the Jewish people of that day would have eaten with. And yet here is Jesus doing these things and the disciples had a front row seat to it. And all of these things that Jesus did on a regular basis often left the people who saw him doing it bewildered, confused. They didn't really understand but listen, our story started in Mark 4, verse 35. If we back up one verse to Mark 4, verse 34, listen to what it says. It says, when Jesus was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. In other words, some people might have been confused by the things that Jesus did and who he was, but there was no room for the disciples to keep wondering. And yet, here they are. Here they are, and this storm is revealing how deep their trust in God actually runs. They have seen Jesus save the lives of others, but now it comes to their own lives and suddenly they're just not quite sure. And I actually, I just wanna pause for a second and speak to this for a moment because I do wanna say that it is okay and it is appropriate to acknowledge when you are afraid. It is okay to call it what it is. I grew up in church and I remember very, um, I remember some people saying to me over the years, like, you just, you know what? If you admit that you're afraid, it just shows a lack of faith. Listen, when you are in the middle of it, it is okay to say it. Because here's the fact of the matter, Jesus already knows. He knows what's going on inside of us. We're not kidding him, we're not fooling him. It's okay to say, God, I am afraid and this is so, so hard. 
By the way, the writers of the Old Testament show us that it is okay to call a hard thing a hard thing. And the Psalms are a great place to go to look for this. They are full of this. I wanna just give you a few examples because listen to what some of the Psalm writers said. In Psalm 6, it says, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Psalm 55 says this, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Listen, they did not mince words. They were not afraid to call a hard thing a hard thing. Here's the last one I want to read in Psalm 13. The psalmist says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How many of us have felt that? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? You see, they were not afraid to call chaos, chaos. But here is the important thing. They didn't stay down in that pit. They recognized it, they acknowledged it, but they didn't stay in it. That Psalm 13 that we just read, here's what it goes on to say. He's just finished, he had just finished saying, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? And he goes on to say, but I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me over and over again in the Psalms and in many other places in scripture, this is the picture that we get of God's people, a people honestly admitting their fear before God, but then not staying in it. They move forward to view their suffering through the lens of who God is. So while chaos may in fact muster up fear, and again, that's okay, I think the bigger issue here is what do we do with that fear? Do we sit in it? Do we stay in it? Do we give into it? In verse 40 here, it might seem when Jesus questions the disciples that he's like frustrated or disappointed and saying, listen, I can't believe you're so afraid. What is the deal? You guys have been with me. But what I think he was actually saying to them or actually pointing out to them is this. You have a lot of fear and a little bit of faith. The scales are tipped and your fear has outweighed your faith. And here is the reality. The scales will continue to stay tipped in the wrong direction until you and I are able to clearly see who Jesus is, until we understand who he is. Chaos will continue to keep us questioning Jesus. And we will continue to be overwhelmed by fear until we understand who he is and why it is that we can trust him. And so now is a great time to ask, okay, who is this Jesus? Well, this particular story shows us, and this is the third final observation I wanna make, that Jesus is the only one, the only one who can calm the chaos in our lives. The story we've just read tells us that Jesus stilled the storm. How? How did he do this? Well, the storm listens because it recognizes Jesus' voice. 
The wind and the waves had heard his voice before. If we rewind to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, this was the same voice that had made them, that had created them in the very beginning. Jesus was the word that spoke creation into existence and creation responded. Jesus is more than just a teacher, more than just a rabbi, more than just a healer. And the disciples are sitting there thinking, if the wind and the waves respond to his voice, who is this that we're dealing with here? And this is the key point of the story. Listen, this story is not about chaos. This story is about who Jesus is. That's what this story really is about. So why is he able to calm the chaos in our lives? The reason he's able to calm the chaos in your life and in mine is because he literally, literally has authority over the physical world. He created it. Here's something else that's so interesting. In verse 39, when Jesus, um, he uses a phrase when he's talking to the wind and to the waves, when he says, be quiet, this is a Greek phrase. It's phimo, phimo. And Jesus uses this phrase earlier in Mark chapter one. And in Mark one, Jesus used the same phrase, phimo, be quiet, when he was speaking to a demon and he was casting it out of somebody. He said to the demon the same phrase, phimo, so the point here is very, very clear. Jesus not only has authority over the physical world, over the wind and the waves, to be able to say to them, be quiet. He also has authority to say, be quiet, to the spiritual world, to calm that down. Jesus has authority over the physical and the spiritual. And remember how I said to you to take note that in verse 36 it said, there were also other boats with Jesus. When Jesus calmed this storm, it didn't just impact the disciples. It didn't just impact that one boat. It impacted everyone else on the water that day. And likewise, when Jesus calms the chaos in our lives, it impacts others around us. I wanna point out something else that I found so interesting. And listen, sometimes, sometimes we just have to go back to the good old King James Version. And so we're gonna do that for the next couple minutes. And I'm not trying to give you a Greek lesson, I promise, but just stick with me because I promise this is so good. In the King James Version, it says this, it says that there arose a great storm in verse 37. And that language, a great storm in the Greek, it's the word megas, it means loud. So we could say there was a very loud storm. That's the picture that the original readers would have understood, that there was a very loud storm. And then in verse 39, King James says, Jesus said unto the sea, peace, be still. And guess what word he uses there? Fimo, that word we just said, be quiet. And here is what that word literally translated means. It means to muzzle. It's not just that Jesus said, quiet down a little bit. He muzzled that the wind and the waves. And so here we have this picture of this loud sea and then Jesus comes along and he muzzles it. He silences it. And then in verse 39, the King James Version says that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. It's that word megas again. This is so cool. So we have a loud storm Jesus comes in and silences it, muzzles it, and says, be quiet. And then a great calm arose. And this is what the literal translation means. It was a loud quiet. Imagine that. Like, have you ever experienced a moment when it was so quiet, it was loud? Like when you can hear your heartbeat kind of pulsing in your ears? Imagine this moment with me. 
like the storm had been deafening a moment earlier. And in the original Greek, um, the word for storm is actually interchangeable with hurricane. I'm from Texas, so I know a thing or two about hurricanes. They are loud, the wind whips you around, it's crazy. So I'm trying to imagine this moment here where in an instant, Jesus stands up, he muzzles the storm, and just like that, silence. A silence so quiet that it was loud. And that, is the moment when he turns to his disciples and he addresses them. After Jesus asks them these two, excuse me, these two questions in verse 41, he goes on, or he, he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it says that the disciples were terrified or that they feared exceedingly. And guess what that Greek word is that's used here, megos that their fear became loud. <laughs> the storm was loud. Jesus muzzled it. The quiet became loud. And now their fear is loud. Get this. Jesus stills the storm. And the end result is that the fear of the disciples gets transferred from the storm to the Savior. But it wasn't the same kind of fear there is only one kind of fear that the Bible says is appropriate, and that is fear of the Lord. And it's not the kind of fear that makes us scared of him or that drives us away from him. It's a kind of fear, it, it means literally to stand in awe of him, to feel a kind of reverence toward him. And it happens when we recognize who he really is that he's not downstairs sleeping in the boat while our lives are falling apart, but that everything on earth and under the earth really is subject to him. It's not being afraid of him, it's being afraid of life without him. The disciples experienced a total miracle that day, total miracle. They cried out and Jesus settled the storm instantly. But if you are anything like me, you are sitting there with a question in your head. And you wonder about those times that it isn't instant. Like what about those times when the storm just keeps raging on? When things don't settle down as quickly as we'd like, or our prayers are not answered the way that we had hoped? What then? What then? You know, a couple days, it had been 48 hours after our initial appointment. And I'm, I was very, very confident over those two days. I felt such peace that the Lord was, um, he had just given me peace. And I was very confident to go to the doctors and I felt like I was gonna be okay, that the baby was gonna be okay. And in fact, my husband needed to go out of town. He was gonna get a new plane ticket. And I was like, no, babe, go, it's fine. So he, he actually left. He was actually flying here to Vancouver. And I um, went to the doctor's appointment by myself, all smiles pretty confident. And so you can imagine my devastation when the doctor confirmed the worst that we had lost officially our third baby. But here's, here's the thing. I was devastated. I was, I was so sad. All the emotions you can, you can imagine. But this time when I got to my car, I was by myself and I sat down through broken sobs. And I was not, still not understanding all the whys about pain and loss and all those things. 
But I was able to say this, Lord, I do not understand this, but you are still good, even in this. And I choose to bless you when you give and when you take away. I did not know then <clears throat> what the future of our family looked like. I didn't know that God would end up giving us four beautiful kiddos. I didn't know it then. I didn't know any of that. But I did know that I was very much in a place where I had almost no footing. And the only thing I could be sure of, because I had spent the previous two days reminding myself of who he was, the only thing I could be sure of was him that he had proven himself over and over again. I knew who he was, who he'd always been. To be clear, this was not the way that I wanted that day to end. That is not the way I wanted that story to end, but I knew there was a choice in how I responded. I could blame him or I could believe in him. And even though I couldn't necessarily feel it in that instant, I really did believe that Jesus was right there with me in it. I don't know what's going on in your life. I do know that 2020 has been so chaotic for, for most of us, but maybe you just need to hear today that what we are talking about is not theoretical. Jesus literally, he literally has authority to speak to the chaos in your life. But even more so than that, I want to widen the lens a little more because he doesn't just have authority to meet our day-to-day -day needs. He has the authority to meet the deepest need we will ever have, and that is to be reconciled to God. And Jesus has already met that need when he died for us, when he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He has already calmed the greatest chaos we will ever know, and that is the war for our eternal souls. He's already won that war. And because he has met our greatest eternal need, he has the ability to bring peace in the midst of our hardest earthly needs. You see, chaos makes us ask the wrong question. Chaos makes us say, Jesus, don't you care? when the better question we should be asking ourselves is, when hasn't he cared? Nothing on this earth, not even the worst of situations, not cancer, not the loss of a child, not bankruptcy, not divorce, not infertility, and certainly not COVID. Nothing, nothing can separate us from him. Jesus is with us in it all and he has authority over it all. I wanna read one final verse to you, and it's Romans 8, out of Romans 8, beginning in verse 35, it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death 
nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.